This week on Blue 58, the Packers beat the Bears. Does that actually change anything? With Aaron Jones out for up to six weeks, how does the offense look? And is there a case for tanking the season? Maybe. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. We have a very exciting show ahead for you, but first got to take care of a little business. A big thank you to you. Apparently you all like the idea of firing Dom Capers because last week was our most downloaded episode of Blue 58 ever, and we are very excited about that. The last one was our pre-draft extravaganza all the way back in, I think, mid-April that was. So to see that many downloads come through for, for this was, was very exciting, and it says a lot about what you think about uh, about Blue 58. So thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, rewarding us with those, with those big numbers, and we'll keep trying to do our best to bring you the very best in Packers podcasting. So let's dive right in. We've got a lot to cover this week. First and foremost, a Packers win. Haven't talked about one of those in quite a while. Uh, three main things that jump out to me here. Brett Hundley, much improved. Um, not great, and we'll touch on that a little bit later, but better especially down the stretch. I think he won the game there for the Packers with a few clutch plays. Had a great scramble, probably could have gotten more yards had his hamstring not tightened up on him or whatever that was whenever that happened in the game. A great touchdown pass to Devontae Adams, as good a throw as you've ever seen him make. And that clutch 42-yard pass on third and 10 uh, late in the game that essentially put the game away, although that missed field goal did technically give the Bears a little bit of hope. But ultimately, that was the deciding play of the game. Any realistic hope that the Bears had disappeared with that third down conversion. The defense, not great, but better. I think you really have to like the the, the defense against the run, uh, especially given what we've seen Chicago do in that area before. Uh, but really, the Packers' defense improved by putting the Packers or putting the Bears in a lot of third and long situation. There's a writer named Jeremy Stoltz on Twitter. He writes for Bears Report. He notes that except for the touchdown to Bellamy and one third and four conversion in the third quarter, these were the last third down distances for the Bears on the final plays of their other nine offensive drives. You follow all that? So other than a third down conversion in the third quarter, a four-yarder, and a a touchdown pass, the Bears ended their drives with a lot of third and longs. How many third and longs? Well, how does this sound? Third and 14, third and 15, third and 12, third and 13, third and 16, third and 15, third and 18, third and 10, and third and 10. That's how the Bears ended their uh, nine of their offensive drives other than one third and down conversion and one touchdown. That's a pretty good effort for a defense. Sure, the Bears are not the most imposing defense in the world. And sure, uh, they were playing a rookie quarterback in what, his, his fifth start or something like that. That's not the most impressive, impressive achievement in the world. But it is better. You cannot argue that. It's better than what we've seen from the Packers' defense in the previous few weeks. I mean, if they'd have held Matthew Stafford to that the previous week um, in Lambeau when they were playing Detroit, maybe the Packers win that game. They sure have a lot better shot than they ultimately did, and the Lions probably wouldn't have put up 30 points. Again, all those caveats still apply, 
but it was a much better effort for the Packers defense overall. Third and finally, I like the creativity from Mike McCarthy. Sure, the Wildcat didn't work very well, and some of the other stuff they tried ultimately wasn't that successful either, but at least he's trying new things. Um, I think the big criticism I would have had against McCarthy uh, in Huntley's previous two starts is it was very, very vanilla. It wasn't tailored to Brett Hundley enough. It was more just a really, really basic version of what they would have tried to run for Aaron Rodgers. That, to me, is not a recipe for success. You're not trying to duplicate Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is gone, at least for right now. Brett Hundley, in the meantime, is your starting quarterback. And you've got to figure out a way to maximize the skills and talents that Brett Hundley has. To me, this was the first week that Mike McCarthy was really able to do that. At least he tried some new things, and at least they were able to protect Hundley enough that that he was consistent, uh, getting consistent protection, that is. Um, So I I think those are three great takeaways um, from the game on Sunday. There was a fourth takeaway that I tried to find audio from, but it was so bad that I couldn't. And I'm talking about color man Chris Spielman. Spielman sounds like the generic color guy from Madden, just the lines that you give just a generic person, come to life. He added absolutely nothing to this broadcast on Sunday and was just saying the most inane things. It's like that that clip or, or stereotypical thing that would always go around about John Madden. Yeah, I think the team that win, or that scores the most points is probably going to win. It's it's such a contrast between Spielman and a guy like Tony Romo. Almost every single play, Tony Romo, and he does have some faults in his game, but Tony Romo actually says insightful things. Spielman just made noises until it was time to turn it back over to Tom Brenneman again. And and Brenneman's got his own set of issues that I don't want to go into here. But I I tried to find an example of something outrageous that Spielman said, but all of it was so boring that none of it seemed (laughs) to be worth talking about. So I just thought it was, it has stuck in my mind since then, just what a bland addition to the broadcast he was. And that's worse than being bad, just being nothing. I mean, you can enjoy a bad movie for being bad, but it's it's hard when you watch a movie that's just a movie. Chris Spielman was a just a movie type movie on Sunday and just hard to listen to. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. What is here nor there, well, more nor, more nor than here, I guess, there than here, somewhere else. Aaron Jones, what I'm trying to get to, out three to six weeks with a sprained MCL. A huge loss for the Packers, and one that I don't think we could have seen coming coming into the season. Um, I think a lot of people expected Aaron Jones to be good. I don't think a lot of people expected him to be as good as he has been. And I don't think a lot of people expected him to be used the way he's been in the last couple of weeks. That is another thing that's neither here nor there. Uh, it's been interesting to see how the Packers were de- uh, have been deploying him. But... He is, to me, their most effective running back right now. And I don't think that's really a to-me sort of point. I think he just is their best running back. So with him gone for three to six weeks, it's Ty Montgomery and Jamal Williams and maybe Devontae Mays. I think we know quite a bit about Montgomery and Williams, but I would like to talk about Devontae Mays for a second because I think he's an intriguing player. He's big and he's fast. Uh, 4.52 seconds in the 40-yard dash at somewhere between 
depending on who you ask, five foot nine and a half to five ten, and upwards of five eleven. Big, beefy running back, two hundred eighteen pounds at his pro day. Ran the forty yard dash in four point five two seconds, and also jumped out of the gym at a forty and a half inch vertical and a hundred and thirty one inch broad jump. Uh, those are both the best numbers out of any running back the Packers have ever drafted in the Ted Thompson era. What's interesting to me is a number that we look at behind the scenes here at Blue 58 in the Power Sweep, something called speed score. Speed score is a combination of a few different numbers, uh, pretty much just your weight and your 40-yard dash time and run it through a formula that gives you a rating at or around 100 uh, of how fast a guy can run. Basically, um, if if a guy has a number over 100, he's considered to have a very, very good speed score because he's moving the mass that he has, his weight, very, very quickly. If it's below 100, you can still be pretty fast. Uh, it just uh, The speed score doesn't love you quite as much, and it's, it's not quite as impressive because you're not moving mass, at fa- mass as fast. For example, this year, Aaron Jones ran a 4.5640, a respectable time, but he weighs just 208 pounds, so his speed score is 96.2. Devontae Mays, uh, 10 pounds heavier, probably a little bit more than that if we're being completely honest, uh, ran it in 4.52. His speed score is 104.4. Very, very good at moving the mass that he has. Where he falls off a little bit is in agility. He doesn't score quite as well as a few of the other Packers running backs in the world of agility. So he's a big, strong guy who can run real fast in a straight line. The knock on Devontae Mays coming out was he's not a very good pass blocker. Uh, pretty much just a runner. Uh, doesn't contribute a lot protecting your quarterback or necessarily as a receiver. Also worth noting, he was injured for most of his senior season, but productive as a junior had nearly 1,000 yards and I believe averaged more than six yards per carry. So far, the Packers have not deployed him at all on offense. For the first two or three weeks of the season, they were pretty much alternating between him and Aaron Jones as to who would be active on special teams. Now Mays has only played three games so far this year because Jones kind of took over once they saw what he could contribute on offense and they didn't want to have four running backs active. So far, Mays has only played 20 snaps, all of them on special teams, but I do think there is a role for him moving forward. When you look at the running backs that the Packers drafted this spring, they drafted three very different guys. They drafted Aaron Jones, who is sort of the the scat back uh, mostly speed and agility, receiver-type guy. Uh, can can break some big runs, uh, mostly because of speed and agility. They drafted uh, Jamal Williams, the big bruiser type, um, mostly short yardage. He's power, big, strong, um, you know, all of the, the, arch- or the, all the characteristics that go with the archetype. When I say power back, you probably picture someone like Jamal Williams, and we saw a lot of that on Sunday. Devontae Mays kind of seems like a middle ground. He runs faster than Williams, but he's a lot bigger than Aaron Jones. To me, that screams a guy like Christine Michael. When Michael was at his, or Kristen Michael, I always want to say that because it's spelled Christine. Kristen Michael, when he was at his best with the Packers, he was just running in a straight line. Very thickly built guy, uh, low to the ground, powerful, real fast in a straight line. That's Devontae Mays to a T. He's not as fast as Kristen Michael, and he's probably going to have a pretty limited role because much like Michael, he was not very good in the passing game. He's not very good in the passing game. But I think if he sticks to his assignments, he could be a pretty useful player for the Packers. Finally, Brett Goode rejoins the team. 
this is interesting to me just because it's sort of a funny development. Um, if you remember all the way back at the end of last season, Brett Goode's contract expires. The Packers bring in Tabor Pepper and Derek Hart because they want to replace him. Uh, Pepper is no good right away, so they cut him. It's Hart heading into training camp. He turns out to be a little bit shaky, so who do they sign? Brett Goode. Tucks over at the start of the season, injures his hamstring in week three. They have to re-sign Tabor Pepper to uh, give him a shot at, at, um, at filling in for for Brett Goode. He hurts his himself. He breaks his foot. In comes Derek Hart. He's not very good. Well, just in time for the injury settlement to uh, to run out. Who's back in town? It's Brett Goode. Packers are right back where they started kind of at this point last season when they determined they kind of wanted to go in a different direction. It's funny how things work out in the NFL sometimes. We'll jump to our main topic in just a second. But first, um, superstitions. Packers have shaken off a bit of a losing streak, so you might be tempted to continue to wear the same things that you have been wearing um, after uh, since they won, won the Bears game. That's a pretty good superstition. That's something that I used to do all the time uh, or that I actually continue to do sometimes. When the Packers win a game, I will continue to wear whatever um, – shirt I was wearing or jersey I was wearing until they lose a game again. Why change a good thing? Well, if there's something that you are looking to change or looking maybe for another uh, lucky thing to add to your wardrobe, how about a t-shirt or a hoodie from the Power Sweep? We're partnering with this website, Teespring. Um, They've got a whole bunch of great, comfortable t-shirts and sweatshirts, and there's a whole lineup of them on our store that you can find at thepowersweep.com. Click on the link that says shop at the top of our website. There will also be a link in the post, or the blog post for um, this podcast, and you can find all of that stuff from Teespring. It's great stuff. Uh, I've got a shirt. My wife's got a shirt. Uh, both of my parents have a shirt. Everybody loves them, says they're comfortable. I think they're worth trying out. We've got a bunch of different designs. Give it a look. You can help us out with what we're doing here and have something to add to your game day rotation. All right, let's take a look at our main topic this week, the case for tanking. So people are riding pretty high after this win over the Chicago Bears. And I think that's understandable. The Packers have not won in quite some time. It's always fun to beat the Bears. Brett Hundley looked pretty good. Jamal Williams looked pretty good. The defense didn't look like an absolute dumpster fire. There is technically some hope for the Packers in terms of heading to the playoffs. Overall, it seems to have shifted some expectations. Um, Throughout a question on Twitter Tuesday morning, after uh, just asking people after the win for the Packers, uh, what do you expect? Uh, What are are your hopes for the Packers now for the rest of the season? It was measured but largely positive, Um, a a selection of a few of the answers. Uh, One person says compete. Uh, wants the Packers to compete. Uh, more ball in the hands of Hundley and defensive development. And not to lose to the Browns. I think we can all agree to that. If that happens, then we need a new coaching group. I agree with you, fine sir. Uh, another take. I'd like to see continued development from Hundley. More sacks and forced turnovers on defense and fewer penalties on special teams. Reasonable requests across the board. And I, I think those are, are things that we may see. Hopefully, at least one of those three things, maybe two. Then my favorite, not related to anything here, but someone asks that Kyler Fackrell discover that this isn't, in fact, flag football. I can get behind that. Don't want to take too many shots at Kyler Fackrell. After all, he is an NFL player and I am not, but I would like to see a little bit more out of a second-year, third-round pick. Overall, my point, though, this seems to be pretty optimistic. 
A couple weeks ago, us included, everybody was pretty doom and gloom. Fire Dom Capers, fire Mike McCarthy, trade everybody. Start from scratch, you know, maybe take Lambeau Field apart brick by brick, rebuild it, see what we get next year. This year, a lot more optimism. And I've even seen a few pieces saying, hey, maybe the Packers can still get in a run here for the playoffs. After all, they are 5-4, and four, above 500. We've got as good a shot as anybody, right? Maybe. Uh, I I like the optimism. I like what I'm hearing from everybody. But I do not think it is in the Packers' best interest to keep winning football games. Let's look at where the Packers are right now. Currently, the Packers are third in the NFC North. They are tied with the Lions at the record, or with the record of 5-4. But Detroit has the head-to-head tiebreaker. The Vikings are at 7-2. They're two games ahead of the Packers, and they also have a head-to-head tiebreaker over the Packers. The Vikings have a bunch of games on the road over the last, what is it, seven games of their schedule. But they'd probably need to go something like 2-5 and five over those remaining seven games to give the Packers a shot at winning the NFC North. Packers obviously also need some help from Detroit in that situation as well. Uh, the Packers, to tie with the Vikings at 9-7, and seven, would need to go 4-3 and three over the rest of, the, of their slate. Why do I say the Packers have to win the NFC North in this situation? Well, look also at the five and six seeds in the NFC right now. Uh, those would be the wild cards. Carolina is seven and three. The Packers have to go on the road and play them. And Seattle is six and three. The Packers do have the tiebreaker over them, but I like the, the where the Seahawks are at right now a lot more than I like where the Packers are. They can lean on their defense a lot more, and they still have their starting quarterback. With those teams playing the way they are, the Vikings, the Lions, the Panthers, the the Seahawks, to me it feels unlikely that the Packers are going to leapfrog all four of those teams and get into the playoff race. There is a path, I'll admit, there is a path for the Packers to get to the playoffs, but to me it feels unlikely. It requires a lot of help from other teams, and even then it's pretty rocky. The Packers got to win a lot of games, probably at least five of their next seven. That seems like a big ask. The Packers, to me, as the analysts say, do not control their own destiny as far as making the playoffs. They need a lot of help. To me, the most likely scenario seems to be that the Packers will be eliminated from playoff contention in early December, either through losses on their own or by just becoming mathematically impossible. If that happens, what are the best and worst case scenarios? Let's take a look at the worst case scenario first for the Packers for the rest of this season. To me, the worst thing to happen to the Packers in the event that they don't make the playoffs, the likely event, would be they just win just enough games to barely miss the playoffs. That is the worst of both worlds to me. You get a low draft pick in the first round, but no playoffs. Probably picking in that range somewhere between 16 and 20. What does 16 and 20 mean between those two numbers? It's not good. A perfect example of this is last year's Denver Broncos team, the 2016 Denver Broncos. Coming into the 2016 season, the, Vi- or the Vikings, the Broncos has a pretty talented roster. Um, in fact, they are so talented that just a few months prior, they had won the Super Bowl. It was, this was the first year after Peyton Manning had retired. They obviously have a talented roster. They're just coming off a Super Bowl win, but they have no quarterback. What happens to the Broncos? Well, they go 9-7, and seven, they finish third in the NFC West, and they end up picking 19th overall 
in the NFC and the 2017 NFL draft. Their season only one game worse than the Packers who finished 10 and 6 last year, but the Broncos were out of the playoffs looking in and still almost picked in the 20s in the draft. I'm afraid of that being the Packers this year. I do not want them picking near the 20s because if we're going to be bad, let's be real bad. Let's lose more games, but maybe not that many more. There are benefits to losing. Let's take a look at those benefits, keeping in mind that 9-7 and seven Denver Broncos team. It's important to remember that when you're picking higher up in the draft, it's not just for one draft pick, it's for a lot of draft picks. And the number, where you're picking overall, is a lot more important than the round. For example, it's possible to be a pick closer to the top 50 and still be in the second round and closer to 100 and still be in the second round or much closer to 100. Last year, the Broncos finished 9-7. and seven. Their top two draft picks were 19-51. and 51. Even though they're just one game worse than the Packers, they still only got one shot at a player in the top 50 of the draft. The Colts, meanwhile, the Indianapolis Colts, finished 8-8. Eight and eight. They picked at number 15 and number 48. Two top 10 pick or two top 50 picks. Why does that matter? A friend of the program, I think we can call him a friend of the program, a friend of the show, Owen Reese of Acme Packing Company and Bucky's Fifth Quarter, writes a lot about the draft. So he thinks about this a lot. He wrote a piece about the benefits of the Packers tanking not long ago for Acme Packing Company, and we'll link to it in our post about this, uh, about this podcast. Owen points out in his piece, uh, quote, the Philadelphia Eagles picked Derek Barnett at 14th. The Colts picked Malik Hooker 15th. The Ravens picked Marlon Humphrey 16th. And the Redskins picked Jonathan Allen at 17th. All four of those players have or did look good this year. Some are injured. Barnett and Allen in particular, end quote. Later in the piece, quote, hypothetically, say the Packers pick 16th in the 2017 NFL draft. Perhaps there they take edge rusher Charles Harris. Then their second round pick is at 48 instead of 61. Well, running back Joe Mixon was the 48th pick in the draft. I'm not here to contest what draft picks are worth, nor to dispute the argument that there really isn't that much of a difference between 18th and 29th or 33rd where the Packers had chances to pick because there can be busts at both spots. If that was the case, there'd be no benefit to picking number one because there have been busts there too. What I am saying, and this is Owen, is that there is generally a higher level of talent available higher in the draft. That's why they're picked where they are, end quote. Finally, he concludes by saying, quote, it would be wise of them, the Packers, in the season where winning a Super Bowl isn't plausible to scrap the season. Granted, it's much easier for me to say that without a stake in the team or my livelihood on the line, but be good or be bad and don't be in the middle, end quote. The very end there, I think, is the key point to this entire argument. What is the middle? There are three tiers in the NFL to me. There are contenders, there are near contenders, and there are people or teams who are just out of it. Contenders, to me, are anyone in the playoffs. If you're in, you are a Super Bowl contender. You have a shot at a Super Bowl. It might not be a good shot. You might have a 1% chance of winning a Super Bowl or a 5% chance at winning the Super Bowl. If you're a wild card, you might be one of those teams with just a 5% shot at winning a Super Bowl. But that is a much better shot at a Super Bowl than a 0% shot. When you're out of it, 
you are that 0%. You never had a chance, and that's obvious. The Cleveland Browns coming into this season started at a zero. They never had a chance. Everybody agreed on that, and that's fine because next year they're going to have a bunch of high draft picks. The worst place to be is in that almost a contender slot. This is the middle class in the NFL. This is a 9-7 and team that misses the playoffs or a 10-6 and team that has a bunch of good teams in their division or there's an especially strong year in your conference and you end up at home uh, with that 10-6 and record. This is the Denver Broncos from last year and you do not want to be the Denver Broncos from last year. To get over that hump from being an almost contender to being a not or at least farther down in the almost contender rankings, it doesn't take a whole lot. 8-8 eight and eight might do it. That's where the Colts were last year. And 8-8 eight and eight might get you a top 15 pick in the draft. I think that's really helpful for the Packers. So what is being out of it, bumping down from that, that also ran or near contender status, look for the Packers? Ironically, and sorry for the semi-clickbait title, I don't think it's tanking. Tanking to me is losing as many games as you can on purpose. To me, the Packers pretty much just need to keep doing what they're doing. Just stay the course and play out the string here and let those losses just come as they may. Don't fire Dom Capers. Just let the defense keep doing what it's doing, and I think the rest will take care of itself. Don't worry about Brett Hundley becoming a world beater or not. Just let him win the couple games that he's going to win, probably uh, one against the Browns and maybe one of two other ones where they have a shot, maybe the Ravens this Sunday. It's probably going to be more losses than wins when you have Brett Hundley. And that's fine because that bumps the Packers up the draft order and they have more shots at higher quality players. The Packers will probably end up going somewhere between 6-10 and 10 and 8-8. Eight and eight, And that's probably going to be good enough to put them in position to have a, a higher draft pick uh, that gets them that infusion of talent. And don't forget they have a third round pick in the compensatory uh, because of a compensatory draft pick this year, uh, TJ Lang's pick coming back to the Packers in the form of of a third-round pick. Uh, This also removes the possibility of having to hustle Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones back this year. There is an outside chance that Aaron Rodgers can come back towards the end of the season. But if the Packers are out of it by then, there's no chance to rush or there's no reason to rush him back and really – eliminate any or give him a chance to to re-injure that collarbone before it is completely 100% healed. If the Packers are out of it, it doesn't matter if if he's healed or not. There's no reason to bring him back. Just let him get completely healthy and we'll come back next year with a bunch of higher draft picks uh, on the squad and see where we go from there. Aaron Jones, likewise, if he's out more towards that six-week end of the timeline, the Packers could very well be out of it by then too. Knee injuries are tricky things. It takes a lot longer to come back than just to heal the injury. There's a whole lot of other complications that go on with a knee injury. If the Packers are going to be out of it, don't hustle him back either. Just let him get completely healthy. We'll try again next year. This doesn't have to be an out-and-out tank. I'm not calling for the Packers to just sit and rest everybody between now and the end of the season. To me, this is something uh, a lot like the 2013 Milwaukee Bucks. So remember, for a long time, the Bucks were kind of the perennial also ran in the, in the uh, Eastern Conference of the NBA. They always finished somewhere right around 500, which was almost always good enough for about the eighth seed. 
in the in the East, just good enough to get hammered by the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Miami Heat or whoever happened to be the one seed. Packers were, or the, the Packers, the the Bucks were just happy to be in the playoffs because it got it it felt like they had achieved something, and then they got hammered and went home. Uh, we're just a, basically a first round tune up for an actual contending team. Heading into the 2013 season, the the Bucks went in on it. Uh, they brought in O.J. Mayo, Carlos Delfino, Zaza Pachulia, and Gary Neal. They signed all those guys. They got Monte Ellis out of the out of the equation. I'm referring to Wikipedia for this, not just plagiarizing that. I don't have that all on the top of my head. They also managed to get Brandon Knight in town, Chris Middleton in town, uh, and they extended their their young and at that time still good player Larry Sanders. They tried to put it all together for something resembling another maybe run at a sixth seed this year. Instead, things went terribly. Uh, they ended up 16 or 15 and 67 and ended up with the second pick in the draft. Um, in part because they had that second pick, they were very attractive to people looking to buy the team. They ended up getting bought. They got Jabari Parker with that second pick, uh, got a new stadium, got a new head coach. A lot of changes came because of that season not working out how the Bucks planned it. This season is not working out how the Packers have planned it either. Sometimes the tank just finds you, and uh, you just have to embrace it. Don't fight it. Maybe just it's it's okay to have a down year sometimes. You retool and you get better. And embracing just the the cycle of of being down for a little bit will help you in the long run. Sometimes there has to be that wildfire for the forest to come back stronger. That it sounds like something that should be on a really cliche nature poster or something like that, or for some hipster to share on their Instagram with a heavily pictured or a heavily filtered picture of some place they want on a hike to reconnect with nature or something. But it's true. Sometimes things have to be bad to get better. Don't fight it. Embrace it. It's okay if the Packers have a bit of a down year. It might be the best thing for them in the long run. While I've got you here, we need to talk about something um, regarding an attitude I've seen springing out of uh, a couple places, most notably one former Packers beat writer on the Internet uh, relating to this last Packers win. Bob McGinn, the venerable Bob McGinn, uh, big fan of you, Bob. Love your work. Don't write this again. He tweets out uh, as the headline for his piece at BobMcGinnFootball.com. Packers discover good things happen when you play hard and stop feeling sorry for yourself. Yes, of course, that is exactly what happened. They stopped feeling sorry for themselves. They pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and just tried a whole lot harder on Sunday. And that's how they finally got that win. Give me a break. I've seen this attitude elsewhere on the Packers blogosphere Ugh, can't believe I just used that word. I've seen this attitude elsewhere out there. This was not because the Packers just tried harder and really gutted it out. This was the Packers executing what they do. Uh, they they played better on offense. They played better on defense. They did what they, they planned to do. And that's why they won. This wasn't some win one for the Gipper. We just got to go out there and try our best because it's about pride and wanting to and all that, all those cliches. <laughs> That's not how football works. That's not how people who are professionals about their job operate. The Packers are all professionals. People on the Bears are all professionals. What is is the flip side that the Bears weren't trying as hard as the Packers on Sunday, and that's why they lost? It doesn't make any sense. We are better than this. We can do better writing than this. That's something that we are trying to do. Don't fall on those cliches. We can be better than that. you got to hold people accountable when they're not, not up to those standards. That's a little bit ranty. 
but it was on my mind this week. That's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the the great week we had last week in terms of downloads. I'm excited to see what you guys think of this one as well. Uh, It's a bit of an interesting, weighty, perhaps, topic, and might be a little bit controversial, but I'm looking forward to seeing what you think. You can find us online at thepowersweep.com, our Facebook and Twitter pages as well under the name The Power Sweep. Just go to either of those fine websites and enter that as your search term. You will be directed to our page. Uh, Give us an email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. I've had some great emails from listeners and we'll look forward to doing another mailbag type feature either on the podcast or on the blog in the near future. Should you like to support us uh, financially or by other means, we have a few options for you. Patreon.com slash The Power Sweep is our Patreon page. That helps us fund a lot of the things that we are doing here at The Power Sweep. It's been great, and uh, thank you for all your contributions there. You can always use more people joining our team. If you'd like to have a little bit of Power Sweep apparel, you may have some of that uh, at uh, our Teespring store. Head to ThePowerSweep.com, click Shop. That'll get you to where you need to go. Finally, you can always leave us a review on iTunes if you would like. No pressure to do that, uh, but it does uh, help more people find the show, and we always want to do that. We always love to hear from you in whatever uh, means of communication you choose. It helps make us better at what we do here, produce better podcasts, write better stuff on the blog, and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packer fans are what we're all trying to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you back here next week on Blue 58.